0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh and I am one of your co-hosts.
1: And I'm Jacqueline. I am your other co-host. In this week's episode, we discuss the role of letter sensors in our future, an update on the Apple versus Epic antitrust lawsuit, and a lot more. Roll the intro. Darsh. LiDAR has been a pretty big thing for the past few years. I feel like Apple was not nearly the first company to do it, but they definitely brought it to the limelight for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing it get discussed in regards to Tesla. What do you think about LiDAR technology in general? um, And how do you foresee it getting integrated into products that we use?
0: LiDAR is like really interesting technology because it's more than just like a camera. It works in a weird and interesting way that I fully don't understand. But I feel like the applications that do come from LiDAR sensors and having them into different devices like, for example, in a Tesla. Will ultimately really help when it comes to gauging depth perception, and I feel like that's a huge thing when it comes to Teslas in specific because they're huge in autopilot. When you look at any Tesla, I think one of the first things everyone can think of is ludicrous mode, and probably autonomy. Like self-driving cars. I think that LiDAR sensors are really, really cool. And I would love to see other car manufacturers like Ford, for example, with the Mustang Mach-E, like implement LiDAR capabilities and LiDAR technologies to help make their autopilots even better and moving forward, like stuff like that. But I think in the car tech space, as far as that goes, like LiDAR sensor is going to be huge.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. So I'll just give a brief background of how LiDAR works just for our audience. You feel like that's a good thing to do it?
0: Oh 100% go for it.
1: Lighter like the acronym stands for light detection and ranging. It's also sometimes called like laser scanning or 3D scanning. It's basically a technology that uses lasers that are safe for the eye to create a 3D representation of an environment. So if you're interested in this we'll put a link in the show notes where a website kind of shows you it in action but basically a typical lighter sensor will like emit pulsed light waves into the surrounding environment and then those light waves like that laser bounces off surrounding surfaces and then returns back to the sensor and the time that it takes to return back to the sensor is how they measure the distance so like something that takes 15 seconds to get back to the sensor the lighter sensor is then able to detect like all right maybe that is really close like within a couple feet but if it takes a minute then you know it's like much further away supposedly lighter technology and sensors repeat this process like millions of times per second so it can really get like a real-time 3d map of the environment so obviously you can see how this would be crucial to cars, right? Because the environment on the road is constantly changing. And Apple is using it in kind of a different way, but also similar. They're using it for augmented reality. Mm -hmm. So it's on the back of the iPad. You're able to more accurately measure stuff. That's obviously a huge feature of iPad, like the measuring app. So you can see how big a room is. So you can buy furniture. And then it's also obviously being used to augment things into your room without it actually being there. So if you want to see if like a desk lamp would look cool, you can accurately put it into the room and lighter helps with kind of getting a sense of the environment. So it feels like it's just a beginning for lighter Cars, there's this whole element of the fact that things can change in less than a second. So it's really important that it's literally constantly updating. Elon Musk has said in the past that lidar is unnecessary, mm-hmm. but we just saw it on the Tesla Model Y. It was spotted in Florida with a lidar sensor. So maybe Elon is reevaluating his opinions. I guess we'll just see, but it is really cool to see kind of all these advancements going on in technology and how everything is kind of interlooped, right? Like lighter is really good on an iPad, but also on a car.
0: Actually, that kind of poses a question I have. Like there are all these different companies that come up with car accessories. Like, do you think there'd ever be a possibility of, having someone implement, not like a new Infotainment center, but rather like a dash cam assist that would essentially have like LIDAR sensors and different things like that to help with safety precautions. Because I feel like individuals like myself, for example, who drive an older car on occasion, like you don't realize how many safety features you're missing from newer generations of automobiles. So, in that kind of sense, like I think it'd be really interesting to see how LIDAR sensors could be implemented in other cars in a like a third party accessories kind of respect. Because the same way that Tesla is doing it right now, or at least from what it seems like, it seems like they're testing out the technology. Technology and seeing how they'd work, there's no doubt that, th- that these sensors are going to be reduced down in size by a huge margin before it actually... Enters the Model Y lineup or before enters any Tesla lineup, so I think it'd be really cool to see how that goes as well. But even from these pictures about how the te- like with the Tesla Model Y, it literally looks like a almost like a camera rig on top of the car with a bunch of not solar panels, but I'm pretty sure those are light, those are the lighter sensors. But but it looks kind of like solar panels. It's just it's just interesting to see how they're trying this, and it'd be really cool to see if this is like if this makes it a level five autonomy capable vehicle, which means that it'd be commercially viable as self driving.
1: Totally agreed, and. I also think it's kind of interesting that Tesla is obviously not hiding the fact that they're trying out LIDAR. Like, this was literally on the roads. Mm -hmm. And Tesla's such a huge company that, like, they know that anything they do like this is going to be spotlighted by the media. So it's interesting to me that they're, like, being so forward with it. And that makes me feel like it's something that they're really considering in, like, not even, like, early stages. Like, they've been testing it for a while behind the scenes. Oh, 100%. For them to be willing to immediately come out on a main
0: road. So Elon Musk came out for a while saying how he thinks that LIDAR is a crutch. He doesn't think that you need it to make a fully autonomous vehicle. Clearly, he decided he wanted to change his mind or some engineer told him that he wasn't necessarily thinking this through in the greatest sense. From what it seems like, it just seems like this is a really cool possibility. Even though Elon Musk wasn't fully on board with it at first, he clearly is now. And if that means that we're looking at like actually getting a fully autonomous car, I'm here for it. They definitely can't announce much, especially since they disbanded their PR team a while back. The fact that they still have this, like we're noticing these and people are kind of spotting on the road and and just shouting it out like i think it's really cool because i guess in some sense that's the best way now to get information like you get real live updates what's going on in the world but with this in specific the tesla's seeing these pictures it just honestly look really cool i'm really excited to see how it goes and i'm excited to ask everyone who's listening like would you trust a car to drive itself like fully like fully autonomous car you are sitting in the back seat and the car is driving you wherever you need to go would you trust it? I know personally, probably not. Not for like 10 years. I just, you know, robots, future, just scary. (laughs) Okay. So Jacqueline, Jacqueline, so would you sit down genuinely, honestly, would you sit down in the back of a fully self-driving car? No one else in there, just you.
1: Not right now. No, maybe five years from now. Like I agree with you. It depends on how the technology progresses. Like Mm -hmm. trust is a big element of it. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. We've also just talked about trust a lot on the podcast in different ways, including antitrust.
0: Ooh, antitrust.
1: And the antitrust lawsuit against Apple.
0: No way. There's an antitrust lawsuit against Apple.
1: Yeah, dude. It's been going on for a hot minute, you know? Fortnite, (laughs) epic. And there's been some updates to it. So Darsh and I have been following the story for a while. Our legal disclaimer right now, these are just our opinions. Nothing of this is fact, et cetera, et cetera. Not trying to defame a company.
0: So Jacqueline, then when it comes to the antitrust lawsuit with Apple, well, what's your take on the situation? And could you provide us with like a quick update on like what's been going on since we last talked about it on the podcast?
1: For sure. Today, basically, or yesterday, rather, The Verge came out with an article basically updating the situation. It was the final day of the trial. Things are heating up a little bit. Some people from Apple spoke, some people from Epic spoke, like closing statements. Epic Epic's general strategy basically was like to put as much evidence out there as possible just in case they need to appeal the verdict. And The Verge says because Epic did that, they sacrificed telling like a coherent story. So basically they just like throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Whereas Apple is really like just trying to stick to this brand image, which makes sense to me because Apple's all about their brand image in every facet. So it makes sense that they stuck to this one message of Apple controls the app store because the alternative would be a security and privacy nightmare. And that's what they stuck with. And whether it was Swanson, Moye, or Doran, story like was exactly the same throughout and throughout the trial as well. Supposedly, in The Verge's opinion, Tim Cook Biffed this by citing a business model and not mentioning the security aspect. But Phil Schiller, Apple's like marketing guy, basically told the story of the privacy and security features. That is really where the two issues I feel like Apple is clashing with a lot of different companies about. But for Epic, the main thing is just a mobile app store. They basically just wanted to show in many different facets in their opinion how Apple is being antitrust. So then if the judge does not roll in their favor, they have an easy way to kind of appeal it. The Verge's main takeaway on this was that Epic crammed tons of evidence. On the record. And even if Epic loses this battle, their strategy, they say, may win the war by creating new antitrust laws. So even though they may not win this actual case, the fact that they pursued this case may change the landscape for every single company if new antitrust laws are in place. Obviously, technology companies now are some of the biggest companies on the planet and they're brand new because technology keeps advancing. Mm-hmm. So the laws aren't necessarily aligned to what's going on. And that's been the general takeaway. Obviously, we don't know like the actual outcome yet, but the final day of the trial just happened.
0: Exactly. One of the actually interesting things that they come up in conversation was they're talking about how essentially like even though Epic could call up to stand or call up Samsung or LG to kind of attest to how these mobile app stores work they're the developers for the app store but they're not the developers of that app store some of what Phil Schiller said was there is extremely minor competition in this space like Amazon's Fire tablets and with regard to their Fire store or Microsoft's previous attempts at a Windows store with the Windows phone but then it also brings into another conversation about the fact that ultimately if you're talking about Fortnite as a specific app and application then you have to also look at it as everywhere else where Fortnite is sitting and everywhere else where Fortnite is available on, those are all competitive app stores to Apple and those consoles aren't mobile. So they play in a kind of different space. It's just a really interesting situation. I'd highly recommend everyone who's listening right now to to go read further into the antitrust issues that Epic has posed. There is a lot here. Jacqueline, you're absolutely right. Like the internet is a very unprecedented place. There isn't much that you can say about how anything online is governed because no one really owns the internet. So who's going to be the one governing it? Right? Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how this kind of conversation comes down. Cause I feel like this has been in the making for a very long time. Like people have been wanting to take big corporations like Apple to court and ask them like, why are you behaving the way you are? Because you're behaving like a bully on the schoolyard. And we don't like that. And that's not fair. We're all friends here. We're all going to the same school. We all have the same goal.
1: Yeah. It's definitely like, because Apple and Google are and any big company present in every single country in the world basically every country is going to approach it differently and have different guidelines and that makes it kind of a policy nightmare for the tech companies because they have to modify their service depending on who's using it right but it's also an issue for customers because you might get a very different experience in the U.S. than you would get if you were in Italy there's definitely no like main overseer of the internet which creates a difficult scenario but also these issues antitrust has been a thing for a really long time obviously like oil companies are like a big example of it, but it's different when it's digital because it's not as easy to like point to and be like, look, there's like a supply chain. The evidence, I guess, is like much different than the evidence has been in the past. So it's harder to build a case around it. And we also don't know like where the line is. If you're Apple and you've created this millions, hundreds of millions of people that are your customers, shouldn't you have a right to venture into another space and kind of control the way you do it? It's one perspective. The other perspective is like, well, you're killing so many businesses by doing this. So it's it's definitely a tough thing. We'll have to see what plays out. And history is kind of being written as we speak. And it's going to affect us for the next century to come, right? If internet keeps going on this path of being a big thing. There's no like clear answer here with what's right or what's wrong, in my opinion, for all of antitrust in general. For this specific issue, I think I tend to agree more with Apple. Apple on the fact that they should not have to allow multiple app stores on the iPhone. But I know that some people don't agree with that. Darsh, like for you, I think that you are more on the other side, right? Yeah.
0: Like I'm a bit of a mix because I don't like the idea and the fact that Apple is so controlling over this marketplace, because if you're going to call the app store a marketplace, if you're going to classify it as that, then what is a marketplace? It's a place where you go and you can buy and sell things like buy and sell individual product or services. And in this situation, those products are applications. So if those products are applications and you're saying that you want to run the market, I don't think the people that own the market should be the ones who are governing the rules for it. Like I feel like there should be some unbiased committee of people kind of creating those regulations for it because it's kind of like Apple made the marketplace. They're saying everyone can come use it, but you have to follow our rules, which makes sense in theory. But then if you just think of any other marketplace in the world, that's not how it works. So that's why I say that like it's interesting because it is the internet. It's really unprecedented because there is no real genuine control over the internet. You can really do whatever the hell you want. Want. Yeah. That's what they're saying here, right? Like people can still sideload Fortnite on their iPhone if they feel like it. There's nothing against it. Uh-huh. You can do it if you figure out how to do it. Just it's not easy to do. Nor is it. I don't think it's technically like, I wouldn't say it's illegal to do, but I don't think it's like.
1: I don't know if it like voids warranty.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it voids warranty. I don't know like what kind of thing Apple would like spin it.
1: The other thing, Darsh, though, is like I think about it like in terms of my YouTube channel, I'm building something on the internet and I'm on YouTube, but like on my channel, I make the decisions of what I post, who's allowed to comment, etc. Mm-hmm. and am I creating an environment in which other YouTube channels can't like grow by self-promoting in the comments maybe but maybe i don't want to self promo in the comments i know this is like a very different scenario but it's just like when you're a business you're kind of the one like making the rules and governing the rules but then when you get to a level of an apple like big tech business your choices affect countless other companies so it creates this issue where it's like should the legal system intervene should they stay out of it like is it laissez-faire it's a complicated thing here's
0: the thing with that though i feel like i see where you where you go with where you're going with that my biggest issue is just this it's it's if they're claiming that the app store is a marketplace every other marketplace Place in the world has is governed by something by some regulating market. The economy has always been governed by the government. The government is the people who are putting things into place to make these economies run, to make these markets run. And if you're saying that this is a market, like it's just really interesting to me because like it just it's so confusing, but also there's just so much like intrigue for it for me. And, and that's what like I really want to follow this and see how it goes. Honestly, every morning when I wake up, I think Jacqueline and most of the people who've been following us for a while know this. Like I have a pretty strict routine in the mornings. I like to listen to the news, especially tech news, while I have a cup of coffee. And it's, it's one of those those things that I just really enjoy. And following this case has been really fun, especially in the mornings as of late before I get ready for work. Like it just, I just feel like an adult. Like I feel like I'm, I'm really adulting here and I'm like, this is it's a really nice feel. But today was the nicest feel because I got to have espresso for the first time, like just straight espresso this morning. This is just a side note. It's a little side tangent.
1: Yeah, dude, you finally got your machine
0: back. I got my espresso machine back. Yeah. I left it at my apartment at school. For those who don't know, I'm, I'm currently about to enter my last year of university. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I left my espresso machine at school though and I went and picked it up and I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I really missed this.
1: Dude, I remember you making quite the statement about why you were leaving it at school also. Yeah, I was like,
0: okay, I don't need this. Like I can go this summer without it. And then I found out like my parents have been making pots of coffee in the morning and it's they're very, very watered down a little bit. Like they're, they're a little diluted like, in we- terms of potency. They're not, yeah, they're not very strong. I was dying to like, I, I couldn't stay awake. And I went and made a very, very nice Dopio double shot of espresso and it. It really made my day. And I, I kind of want to grab another one, Jacqueline. I don't know if you're thinking the same thing as I am, but- yeah
1: dude, I'm exhausted right now. So let's get a break. When we come back, guys, we're going to be talking a little bit about iOS and Android. Both just had some really cool updates and then Qualcomm and the new Snapdragon 7c Gen 2 ARM processor. We'll be right back. All right. So Apple... Google, Microsoft, are all either pushing out updates or announcing updates, kind of like the big three. Let's start with the two that actually already pushed something out, and that's iOS 14.6 and the new Android update. I think we should just talk about iOS first because that one I feel like is most relevant to us. 100%. And,
0: and you know what? We did bring this up a couple of weeks ago, so if you guys have been following us, you'll know exactly what we're talking about, and that is the fact that the iOS 14.6 update, it's out now, right? Yep. Exactly. Okay, so this new release, iOS 14.6, is not only the new OS update, it's bringing Apple Music, Music subscribers, lossless audio or Dolby Atmos once it's available. I think next month or later this month. It's also debuting Apple Podcast subscription, which is something that we talked about a while back. Like we are podcasters, we do have a podcast on Apple Podcasts. It was something that we talked about with you guys because we wanted to share with you. Like this seems really cool because it's kind of changing up the podcast industry, how podcasting works, and. How really podcasters make money and how that kind of career starts for themselves. So, I'm actually really excited for this update, especially the Apple Music one. If you guys haven't heard our last couple of episodes, we did talk about the Apple Music Losses Audio updates, I believe in the one that we just released this week. So, go check that one out if you guys want to be updated on that, because it's really, really cool stuff coming to the iOS 14.6.
1: Yeah. And the other big thing, Darsh, that I think is flying under the radar a bit, but is actually the most exciting thing for me is the update to AirTags. Ooh. So, when AirTags were initially released, there was this huge thing that was brought up, which is, If you lose an air tag, you can put it into lost mode and then someone can use NFC to scan it in. And when they do that, it will bring up your phone number and you can set it up so it brings up your phone number and they can text you. But immediately my first thought was, why do you have to give someone your phone number? It's a breach for like, it's not great. Like you want to, now they have your air tag and they have your phone number and they know where you left it. Like, it just feels like a lot of information that's unnecessary. And my first thought was like, why don't they just do the thing that they do with login with Apple where they give you a fake phone number or like a fake email address? Mm-hmm. They didn't do that. But what they did do instead is add an option to add your email as a contact method instead of your phone number. That feels like a pretty good change. Emails, I feel like you could just create an email like, I lost my air tag at gmail.com and then like have that be the email that people can send to So you don't have to give away your personal information. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. The other thing that I would love them to kind of do is make it so the person that's emailing, like reporting that they found your AirTag could like do it anonymously. I think it'd be really cool if when you find someone's AirTag and you scan it in, it brings you to like a portal where you guys can message kind of like Apple chat. Mm-hmm. Like when you ask for Apple support, neither of you gives away like, your email, your phone number, etc. I doubt that Apple's listening to this, but if I have an opportunity to talk to anyone at Apple, that'll be my first thing that I say, but this feels like a good first step.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I actually think that's a really good idea. You know how they do like, you mentioned like sign up with Apple, right? So yep. what if they did that where when you lose the AirTag and you notice that it's lost, you click the lost button on the app and it immediately creates a new email for you. Dude,
1: exactly. Yeah. It would be like perfect. Or even like a phone number, like a temporary phone number.
0: Yeah. So literally, so like the email thing they already do with the signing with Apple.
1: They could easily transfer
0: it. Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be too hard to turn that software, turn that like the way that that works and flip it into the Air Tags because that would just bring an extra layer of protection for everyone and they can do it for both sides too.
1: That's what I think. Yeah. Dude, I literally want to pitch them that because I feel like that would be huge. It just, it feels like it makes a lot of sense. So we'll see if they, if they end up doing that, but the email addressing is a really good step. They also added Apple card family sharing. So like five people can share an Apple card for purchases. Mm-hmm. And that's like a smaller update. Which is still a cool one, some fixes and security improvements as well. There was an issue with the Apple Watch not unlocking the iPhone properly, and that supposedly was fixed. And then also, Bluetooth issues during calls was an issue, and that was also improved. Yeah. What about the Google one? Do you want to give us a rundown on that? Because I think that one is also really cool.
0: Yeah. So basically Google came out with a new tool that was announced. It's essentially an artificial intelligence tool that works to identify skin conditions. Whether or not this is going to be very accurate, whether or not it's going to face a lot of scrutiny, we don't know yet. Ultimately, because like any other symptom checking tool, we're really going to be seeing how well it can accurately perform the task of identifying what the skin disease is. These types of symptom checking tools, they can't diagnose these conditions specifically, but they can give you a recommendation or an idea of what you might be dealing with, give you a recommendation to go see a dermatologist if needed. But I think it's really cool that Google announced them doing this because it just seems like there's always a lot of improvements and advancements in tech when it comes to like our convenience of just doing day-to-day things. But we have a lot of really cool technology that could really be beneficial for like the health world and a ton of other industries that I feel like just are untapped in terms of tech. And I would really love to see them advance it. The
1: converse of that opinion or like the other side of the coin for that. What if they, someone does this and unfortunately they have skin cancer, but it doesn't pick it up and then they don't go to the doctor. People are worried that these symptom checkers will give people inaccurate, false senses of hope and security. And then in reality, they'll actually be missing something.
0: That's the one thing though, with, the, with any symptom tracker, that's not going to be a doctor. Like exactly. you ultimately are going to need to go see a doctor. Like that's why there's like, that's why they're saying like, there's very little research right now on what to do after you use one of these symptom checkers. Like where, where do you go? But I imagine that as this is being better flushed out and more flushed out, you'll be able to see that like there will be like a nice like step by step process. Same way that there is with COVID now. When COVID first started, it was kind of just like okay, you feel sick, just stay home. Like, like don't talk to anyone, like, don't go see anyone. Now it's a system. It's it's okay, you got COVID, you're gonna get a call from public health. Public health is gonna tell you what to do. You're gonna have a breakdown of all these instructions. How are you gonna go about your day, so on and so forth. So there's a similar sense, when it comes to this and the way that the symptom tracker works, I imagine if it gives you something and tells you we believe you have some type of rash that can't be identified for what it is, we would recommend. 3 Three steps. One, please change this habit of yours or like do this until you go see a doctor. Two, go see a dermatologist. This is considered a recommendation to go see a dermatologist and so on and so forth, like stuff like that. I feel like that kind of process and those sets of processes will be introduced hopefully.
1: The, the thing is, and I agree with you, the question becomes, is this actually more harmful or is it more helpful? Does it give people false negatives more than it does helpful positives so then they know to see a dermatologist? But on the other hand, maybe it helps people that unfortunately like can't afford, care or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can't afford to take a day off from work and go to a doctor. Maybe it helps them. And it sucks that anyone is in that position. I'm always just worried about these types of things. First of all, like causing a ton of anxiety in someone if they get a false positive or on the same token, like even worse, telling someone that they don't have something and then them pushing off seeing the doctor. And then it turns out that they actually do have something. So I think that that's still something that we need to figure out with symptom trackers in general.
0: hundred percent. And th- that's why I do turn to our listeners, everyone listening. Let us know what, what do you guys think about symptom trackers. Are they something that you would do? like so something that you would use? Do you think that they're beneficial? Do you think it provides safety concerns? Like, look, like, what are your thoughts on it? So make sure to go tweet us at Digital Dive Pod. We'll definitely be checking that out. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your opinions on the matter. And we want to hear how you guys think that this should be implemented and what Google can maybe do to make it better as they continue to roll it out. Because I'm really excited to see how this goes and see where Google goes with it. Because Google's a huge company and they, they have some really cool tech. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot going into this project right now.
1: Similarly, Microsoft is a really cool company and they are working on something which seems to to be huge. The next generation of Windows, it seems like it's going to get a huge UI update, a new store and a lot more. Seems like they're simplifying all the different types of Windows, like Windows 10X was discontinued and they're going to take the best of that and kind of implement it into this next generation. I'm really excited to actually see what this is and it's coming supposedly very soon in the next uh, few months.
0: So something that has been said by Microsoft is soon we will share one of the most significant updates to Windows of the past decade. So that's a huge, huge, huge assumption and big shoes to fill. But what they're saying is that they want the new set of windows, the new updates to unlock greater economic opportunity for developers and creators, which I think can be really cool because I feel like that means that they're going to try to make Windows 10 X or whatever they call this next generation. They're going to make it more creative focused, maybe more creative focused. And I think that could be really cool because I, I never thought of Windows as a creative platform, to be honest with you.
1: It also just feels like it's going to be more intuitive as well. Mm-hmm. The experience will be more universal regardless of what device you're using.
0: Yeah, this is going to be really, really cool to see how they how they build this out. Like given there isn't a lot that we know right now, we know that Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella, he announced during the Build 2021 keynote that the next generation of Windows, he's been testing for for the past couple of months. It means that they've definitely hit a point where they can use it and it's proper to use. I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. And again, like let us know what you guys think at Digital dipod Pod, both on Instagram and Twitter. We'll be checking that out and waiting to hear from you. But something that I actually really wanted to talk about this week, before we run out of time, I wanna make sure we do discuss it. And that's Qualcomm. If you guys don't know, Qualcomm is one of the biggest, well, I don't even know, what, what are they considered a chip manufacturers? Like, yeah. Yeah, they're one of the biggest chip manufacturers when it comes to smartphones. If pretty much almost any Android phone that you have in your pocket right now, like odds are Qualcomm Snapdragon chip is probably inside that phone. Very, very likely because they do a lot of them.
1: Yeah, and so this announcement, Darsh, mm-hmm. what is it?
0: So basically, this is the second generation of the Snapdragon 7C ARM-powered processors. So basically, these this is a set of very basic ARM-powered processors that were designed for entry-level Windows computers and Chromebooks. The biggest change to the actual... Processor itself is like a higher clock speed bump. So you're looking at a jump from 2.4 gigahertz to 2.55. And you also see that it has LTE connectivity and promises a multi day battery life. Now, I wanted to bring this up in specific because we talked a lot in the last couple of episodes about the M1 processor. What the M1 processor is, is an ARM based processor that Apple has been integrated within their newest products. Qualcomm coming out with the 7C, especially with the specifications that they've now offered about the product and about the processing power behind it. I wouldn't be surprised to see Snapdragon trying to narrow down their sites on Apple, try to compete with them, because if you think about it, Qualcomm is now going to go up against them for pretty much everything. Qualcomm, Intel, AMD. They're going to be going after Apple because Apple has pretty much pulled themselves out of every single one of their pockets.
1: I feel like there's like all of a sudden, all this like chip competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That market has really heated up. Again, like this, this week's episode, like there's a lot of like these things that are exciting, but we don't know a ton about them yet. And this is like another one of those, but it feels like the potential for Qualcomm to get involved in this niche is really big. And based on their past work, they do it really well. So I'm really excited to see what this ends up becoming.
0: Exactly. But Jacqueline, my question to you is this, like have you ever used a Chromebook for example?
1: Yeah. All the time. Okay,
0: so when you use a Chromebook, like how do you find the experience on there? Like in terms of processing power, like capabilities, stuff like that.
1: So I never do anything or I've never done anything that's actually intense on it. It's very much like I'm going to script a video or I'm going to like watch Netflix or something like that. I've never obviously edited on it. I've never even done website design or anything that's like intensive on a Chromebook just because I feel like the operating system is not conducive to that.
0: Would you say that like it's it's powerful enough, right? Like it, it gets the job done.
1: For Very light note-taking, like things that I would want to use a Chromebook for. I've never been, at least in the ones that I've tested, like specifically the Google Chromebooks, I've never been like, ah, like it doesn't have enough power for note-taking.
0: One of the things that I think is really interesting about the Snapdragon 7C Gen 2, other than just the name that I think is pretty funny, in a general sense, like they're competing with Apple literally head-to-head, but not head-to-head because Apple put all of their ARM-based chips into pretty high-end and fairly expensive devices, whereas the Snapdragon 7C is going into a lot cheaper devices like Chromebook books like entry level Windows computers which has me really curious to see whether or not Snapdragon or Qualcomm plans to come out with higher functioning and more powerful ARM based processors to compete with Apple in this space because I feel like now there's this whole new niche there's this whole new like space of tech where you can get hardware that's running ARM based processing power but still offering full desktop level quality performance the way Apple went about this and how they've been introducing it I feel like it's they've kind of they've been paving the way and now everyone else has a roadmap to see where they can kind of go with it. No fans in the computers, uh, optimizing software with the hardware and making sure that everything's working hand in hand. Like it'd be really interesting to see Snapdragon or Qualcomm work with Microsoft, for example, or Intel work with Microsoft on an ARM-based chip that's like very, very high in performance and perfectly aligned and set up with Windows. I think it'd just be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm very excited for it.
1: The latest Chromebook that I tested was the Pixelbook Go and that had like an Intel Core i5, 8 gigabytes of RAM. It was like, a really good Chromebook. It's definitely one of the most premium ones on the market. And it was good for what I wanted to get done, but I gravitate more towards a laptop because I just need to, like when I'm on a laptop type form factor, I want to do video editing and Photoshop and all those other things. If I'm just looking for entertainment, then I'm going to an iPad and a tablet. So Chromebooks are a super, super niche product, I feel like for people that either don't have a ton of money to spend or people that only want to like do note-taking and use like web apps. So it will be interesting to see if there's enough of a market here for them, but it seems like an interesting opportunity for sure for them to kind of come in and disrupt the market a little bit. That's like all the tech news for this week that we have. As you guys know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, Darch and I do every single week Stuff We Like This Week where we give some recommendations on books that we're reading, music, videos that we like to watch. So if you want to know us like on a more personal level, this is like the part of the podcast where you can do that and kind of learn a little bit more about what we're into.
0: Well, Jacqueline, do you want to get started on Stuff We Like This Week? What's something that you've been watching this week or listening to that's just kind of caught your eye you want to let everyone know about?
1: I talked about it last week, but Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Sour, came out Mm -hmm. and it just smashed. It got a billion streams it's like the number one album on the Spotify charts in a lot of places. She broke the record for the first artist ever to have two number one hits on a debut album. Like it's just so good. And I'm really into storytelling in like all different mediums. And it's just like an incredible album with really good storytelling. So that's my first one. Highly would recommend that people check that out. And if you guys do check it out, I would love to hear like what you think and what's your favorite song on the album.
0: Yeah, actually. So funny enough, I was on a drive yesterday, I was driving and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to listen to it. It. I'm going to listen to at least that one song that was stuck in my head. I think it's called Good for You. Oh no it yeah. So it's yeah. like blown up on TikTok. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is about that song that is just so genuinely catchy. What
1: are people doing on TikTok? Because I'm not on TikTok. Like, what's the trend around it? Okay. So
0: the trend around this song in specific is they have this like filter, this vintage filter. Basically, it's like a one-to-one ratio, like aspect ratio image or like video. And it's like with static overlaid on it and like metadata pretty much. So it looks like a really old film camera. Okay. A really old camera from like when we were kids or something. They pretty much present this filter on top of you and you just dance or just kind of like popping off on the camera like. Because like, the song Good For You is like, it's very powerful in what it is because it talks a lot about her trying to move on and her acknowledging like this guy in her life who is now, who's like now left. And, He's
1: moved on like much faster. Yeah,
0: like she's seeing him move on faster than she is and she's like, good for you, like move on, bye. <laughs> like done, like, like that kind of stuff. Like it's very much a love song and it's very much like an angry song, but it's it's a bump, it's a track, I like it.
1: Are any of the other songs on tiktok as trends? I,
0: maybe, I, I'd imagine that probably- some of them are because I know that Olivia Rodrigo came. I was listening to a Colin Smear podcast today. Yeah. Actually, I guess that's where I'll take my, my my first stuff we like this week. For me, I was listening to Colin Smear podcast We haven't heard it. The Colin Smear show, fantastic. They have a lot of really great insight. They did an episode about how the TikTok music community might be ruining music as an industry or changing the industry as a whole. Yeah. And one of the ways they were doing that was with Olivia Rodrigo. Her music in and of itself, like when she was planning out the lyrics, to this and she was thinking about the melody, she was actively thinking about what could be a TikTok trend, like what could be picked up as a trend.
1: Do Dude, I sent them that clip. Really? Yeah. Exactly.
0: So that kind of stuff is really interesting to me because that's where it, it all comes from.
1: Yeah, dude, I saw that clip and then I sent it to them and they were like, yeah, we saw this. It's like fascinating that she literally like put a sound in on purpose that she knew would be used for a transition.
0: Exactly. It's perfect in that sense. And so Colin shots. that's my recommendation for stuff we like this week. But the Olivia Rodrigo album was actually fairly good. Like I liked it. I like my sad songs, honestly. Like it's just nice. It's a vibe sometimes. But I, I'd highly recommend it. Guys, go check out both of those things. Jacqueline, do you have anything? Uh do you have any other ones for this week?
1: I'm also into sad songs. Darsh. I feel like this album, like the content of it is really sad, but then a lot of the songs are like up tempo. Mm-hmm. It's
0: interesting. It's an
1: interesting mix. Another thing that I liked this week was Ali Abdal made a really interesting video. It was called I Was Wrong, The Real Secret of Productivity, and it's all about like meaningful productivity. And it's actually a really good video. It's like 14 minutes and there was many actionable takeaways from it.
0: Yeah, I think actually I saw him like on Instagram with that discussing it, and he was talking about how the only way way to be productive is to do something you love and then you'll be productive. Like when you're doing what you love, the productivity will come naturally. And I actually genuinely wholeheartedly agree with him. It was really interesting to see like to for you to bring that up because I'm pretty sure I saw one of his ads on Instagram talking about the same thing. My actual last stuff we liked this week was The Last Dance. It's a docu-series on Netflix that's talking about the rise of superstar Michael Jordan in the 1990s when he was with the Chicago Bulls. It was just really interesting. It goes through his story and it goes through the team's story. I just thought it was really cool. I started watching it the other day and I highly recommend it. It's been so good so far. But I think that's pretty much where we're going to be leaving off this episode, everyone. I I hope you guys did enjoy it. I hope it was a good episode for all of you.
1: Thank you guys so much for like all your support, right? Like Darsh and I are constantly blown away by your kind messages. Thank you to Adil Constantine for the incredible intro and outro music. Thank you to Luke for the incredible editing. New episode next Monday, 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern.
0: That's pretty much it, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to drop a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Really does help you read all of the comments. It's really, really beneficial for because we get to know how we can be better and how we can improve. And if you just wanted to compliment us, just, you know, tweet us at digital diepod or on our personals all linked in the show notes down below. With that all being said, that's pretty much it guys. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week.